we're going to end our revival with part three of this sermon. I started it Sunday night. You was here last night and heard it, and I'm going to end it tonight. Now, it's important that as I go through the scriptures and the slides that you pay very close attention, I might use some words you've never heard before, but that's good because your mind is being stretched and your heart is being stretched. So if you're not paying attention, you could lose me, and then you could leave church tonight thinking to yourself, boy, that was boring. But don't fall in the lie of the enemy to think it's boring because you don't understand something. Did you hear me? Did everybody say that's, that's right? So don't, don't fall in the lie of the enemy just because you don't understand something. If you listen, you'll understand, all right? So we are dealing with the idea of the head, the heart, and the hands. What do I mean by that? I am meaning that in, as a Christian, I am meaning that there are three dimensions of faith. You have the faith of the head, which involves sound doctrine. It involves scripture. It involves reading the Bible. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter number 4 and verse number 1. 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse number 1, Paul alludes to this idea of sound doctrine. Everybody shout the head, the head. Everybody shout the head. When I speak of the head, I'm talking about doctrine, the Bible, Scripture. He says, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who appeared before the living and the dead at the appearing of His, his appearing and His kingdom. He says, verse number two, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. He goes on to say, for the time will come that people will not endure sound doctrine. If you believe that we're living in that age, say amen. He said, there's coming a day when people will not give heed to sound doctrine. The word doctrine is the Greek word for teaching. There's coming a day when men and women will not give heed to sound teaching, but they will go after people or teachers that will itch their ears and they will heap upon themselves teachers. In other words, they will run and flock to churches and they will listen to pastors and teachers who will tell them what they want to hear. If you believe that that is the day and age that we are living in, raise your hand. They will not give heed to sound doctrine. When I speak of the head... When I speak of the head, I am speaking of sound doctrine. I'm speaking of scripture. I'm speaking of engaging the word of God. You see, the head is totally important. The head. The head is a set of beliefs or a worldview. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 13. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 13. Look at the scripture. The Bible says that God gave us pastors. He gave us teachers. Why did he give us pastors and teachers? that all of us can grow up. Somebody say, grow up. So if you see Christians not growing up, it's more than likely they're not committed to a church. They're not committed to a pastor. They hop and jump and skip and all that places. He says, you have to have, verse 12, he's given pastors, teachers, apostles to us for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, so that we're all edified. The reason we have pastors and teachers prophets and evangelists, is that we can be equipped and mature and grow up in the faith. We don't like that, but that's exactly what the Scripture says. He says in verse number 13, he says, the reason you for, so we can be in unity, he says in verse number 14, he says, so that you will not be like children anymore, tossed to and fro, carried about by every wind of doctrine. So there is a right doctrine to believe. 
And you've got to engage your mind. Jesus said, you've got to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. Somebody say mind, mind, mind. When I speak of the, when I speak of the heart, when I speak of the heart, I'm talking about affections and passions. I'm talking about spiritual experiences. Affections and passions and experiences. You see, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse number 16, Ephesians 3 and verse number 16. The Apostle Paul was very clear about the heart. You see, you've got to have a heart religion. You can't just have a head religion. You've got to have a heart religion. He says in uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verse number 16, he says that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, that you be strengthened through his spirit in the inner man. In other words, the inner man is the heart. Verse number 17, he says, what I want, what's going to happen, he says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you may be rooted and grounded in love. You see, so, so there's, it's more than head knowledge. There, is, there, is, there has to be something that happens in the heart of man. Can I hear an amen? 2 Corinthians 3, 16. 3 and 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. I want you to listen to what Paul says here. He says it's more than just the head. He says there is a new covenant, and this covenant is not necessarily of the letter, but it's of the Spirit. The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. So it, there has to be more than just head knowledge and reciting of Scripture. You have to have an, a conversion or an experience. The Spirit of God has to do something on the inside of us. And lastly, when I talk about the hands, when I talk about the hands, I'm talking about activity or behavior. Behavior, activity. When I speak of the head, it's intellectual. When I speak of the heart, it's experiential. When I speak of the hands, it's behavior, it's action, it's mission, it's movement, hands. The Bible says in James chapter 1, verse 27, James 1 and 27, James 1 and 27, he said it very clear here. He said, this is pure and undefiled religion before God to visit orphans and widows in trouble and to keep yourself unspotted from the world. You've got to do something. Faith is more than hearing the word. Faith is doing something. If you believe that, say amen. And the Bible says in 2 Timothy 2 and 21, 2 Timothy 2 and 21, Paul further explains this idea that you should cleanse yourself you should be a vessel of honor, and this vessel is sanctified for every good work. So everybody shout and say this, I'm prepared to do something. So when I speak of the head, I'm talking intellectually. When I speak of the heart, I'm speaking experientially. And when I speak of the hands, I am talking behavior or mission or action. Now listen to me very carefully. Everything I just read to you was a review from last week. But you will understand that in the building blocks of learning, repetition is very important in learning. So the reason that I repeated it wasn't because I didn't think you got it. I'm repeating it again because I think it's a building block in our learning. So it's important that we understand communication is more than what's being said. Communication is understanding. It's, it's understanding what's being said. That is why Jesus spoke in parables. He wasn't trying to degrade people's intelligence. He understood that communication is more than what's being said. Communication is being what's being understood. So he talked in parables and took a, took a story with a heavenly meaning or an, uh, and, and put it alongside of an earthly story because he wanted them to understand a spiritual reality. So listen to me. There are some churches that there are some churches that's probably more heart. 
They're more about experience. They're more about passions and desires, affection towards God. There are some churches that's more intellectual, more engaging the scriptures. There are other churches that just engage the hands. They're more about mission and outreach. And if we're not careful, if we just focus on one of them, all of these have their different flaws, and they're inadequate of themselves. So if you just focus on one of them, it's inadequate for the spiritual journey. You have to have a spiritual balance of all three of them. And throughout church history, throughout church history, uh, these three different types of faith has been emphasized throughout church history. And, and, and it's not until just recently we see the appreciation of really having all three of these movements. You see, our experience tonight is understood in a fallen world. We live in a fallen world. We, we operate in a fallen world. And so therefore we understand our experiences and we understand our faith to a certain degree. You see, these three things, the head, the heart, and the hands, you see, they're all inadequate of themselves, but all three of them working together gives us a holistic view of what it means to be a healthy, balanced Christian. And I don't know about you, but if there's ever a time that we need healthy, balanced believers, it is now. I'm not talking about flaky Christians and nutty Christians. Come on, I'm talking about, I'm talking about healthy believers. I'm talking about believers who engage the Word of God with their mind and love the Word of God with their mind. But not only do they love God, not only do they know God, they love God and they do God. Somebody say amen. I'm talking about engaging all three of that. You just don't know God intellectually. You know God experientially. You know, and then, but as a result of that, you live it out through your behavior and your conduct. You see, these three different, these three different faiths, these three different expressions of faith, should I say, these three different expressions of faith, the faith of the head, the faith of the heart, and the faith of the hands, these three things are really sometimes dependent upon our environment, and sometimes it really plays upon our personalities. Some people are more of a thinker than they are a feeler. And so some feelers are more prone to be in a Pentecostal church than thinkers or vice versa because it plays with our personality and our environments. That doesn't mean it happens all the time. I do believe there's a great shift that's happening in the Pentecostal movement that you have feelers and thinkers working together. But ladies and gentlemen, if you just focus on the head... The mind can never be truly the mind that God intended if you don't involve the heart and the hands. Your affections can never really be affections that God has intended if you don't involve the head and the hands. And the hands can never be what God intended it to be if you don't involve the head and the heart. You see, you've got to involve each of them because each of them really give us a holistic view of what it really means to be a Christian. I want you to do spiritual inventory of your life tonight, and I want you to ask yourself, are you focusing more on the head, or have you focused more on the heart, or have you focused more on the, the hands, or do you have a balanced approach? And let me say this with all sincerity, I don't think there is a Christian that has it all under control. I think it's a constant battle as long as we live trying to get the mind and the heart in balance and trying to get the hands in balance. It's a constant battle all we live. Can I hear an amen? But I believe tonight that the Spirit of God wants to bring awareness to you tonight. Awareness. 
that there needs to be awareness that all three is important, and it's important to see all three of these these three things in its proper context. Tonight, for a few moments, I'm going to do that very, very quickly, so I want you to listen. If you look at the faith of the head, the faith of the head, I've already explained to you what the faith of the head means. Let me review just very quickly. It's behind me. The faith of the head is a set of beliefs. It's a worldview. Usually they view conversion as a transformation of thinking. The Christian life is growth in knowledge. It's more about the mastery of knowledge. It's more about the mastery of Scripture. You see, some churches have Bible quizzing. Some churches uh, teach their children the faith and the doctrine of the Bible. You recite things. You memorize things. You can defend your faith. You know what the 16 fundamental truths of the assemblies of God is. You can name them one right after another. You are very well versed in what it means to be a Christian. You are a credo Christian. You understand what you believe. And in this faith of the head, this sect of faith, this, this expression of faith is all about knowledge. It's about and conversion to this, to conversion to this expression of faith is really the transformation of thinking because they seem to think that when you are transformed in your thinking, then your heart would be transformed and then your actions or behavior will be transformed as well. You see, ladies and gentlemen, this is very vital to our understanding of what it really means to be a Christian. This is important. And it does have a very important part in Christianity. You see, the mind, the mind is the center of all of our personality. The mind is the center of our thinking. The mind is the essence of who we are. And if you have your thinking straight about God and the Bible and your beliefs, it's very possible, according to these people, that your heart will become right and your actions become right because your mind is right. You see, John Maxwell tells us a story where he was walking through China one day, and as he was walking through China with one of the pastors, he walked by and saw a tattoo studio. And at the tattoo studio, a man was getting something tattooed on his left arm. And on his left arm, the tattoo artist put born to lose born to lose John Maxwell scratched his head and looked at the man and said why in the world would you have something tattooed on your arm like that born to lose the man in broken English said sir before tattoo here tattoo here you see this is the faith of the head We're tattooed here before we change our emotions, before we change what we do in our behavior. Conversion is a matter of a transformation of thinking. They do not deny the feelings. They do not deny mission and behavior. They also think that's very, very important. But their key is it all starts in the mind. It starts in the mind. You see, there has been a strong battle. You see, these people think that church worship seems to focus on more of understanding God, understanding God, not feeling God, but understanding God. If you go to a Presbyterian church, they, they more have this thinking, uh, they more have this train of thinking. Their hymns tells a story. You see, if you go to a Pentecostal church service, our worship is more about how we feel. I love you, Lord. I worship you, Lord. We sing songs of how much of sin we were in and I'll never forget the day where he saved me. We, we sing a lot about experience, while more of the other institutionalized churches will not sing about your experience, but they will sing about the gospel. They'll sing hymns that tell a story. There's a vast difference between our understanding. You see, Descartes, the 17th century philosopher, said this, I think, therefore I am. 
I think, therefore I am. This would fall under the faith of the head. I think, therefore I understand. The people of the faith of the head seeks to understand God. They want to understand the principles, the, the philosophy of Scripture. They want to engage the mind in understanding God through the play of Scripture and the narrative of Scripture. Is this bad? Oh, absolutely not. I think that we need a revival of this. There is a major, major, major illiteracy in the church, and I do believe that we need to revive the faith of the head once again. And if you believe me, shout amen. We need the faith of the head once again. Raise your right hand and say, Lord, enlighten my mind for hunger of the Word of God. Stretch my mind to believe you. Stretch my mind to engage the Scriptures. Somebody say amen. You see, in the medieval period, in the medieval period, the medieval period, which was the 12th to the 14th century, in the medieval period, 12th through the 14th century, the medieval people understood uh, the faith of the head as was found in monasteries, monasteries. There would be monks that would go behind doors and they would study scriptures for hours and translate the scriptures. So in the medieval period, the faith of the head was very prominent because they would have monks who would revive uh, the scriptures. Uh, they, they would uh, write the scriptures. They, would very, they were very particular about the scriptures. They were more concerned about preserving the scriptures and have an intellectual understanding of the scripture. The Protestant Reformation also had a revival of intellectualism. Luther, after Luther and his reformers, Calvin and such, they, they begin to uh, understand that they need a credo religion. They needed to understand that they need their doctrine correct. They need to know the sacraments were correct. They had to understand because they, they had been controlled so much by the Roman church and their interpretation, the Protestant Reformation in the 16th century wanted to make sure they interpret Scripture right. And that's why you got all these churches, Baptist, Methodist, uh, Presbyterian, Anglican. You have all these churches because everybody broke off from the Roman church, started reading the Bible, and understood that maybe we were interpreting the Bible wrong for all these years. So there was a revival of intellectualism, getting the Scriptures right, understanding what it meant. Now, you know, there was, uh, in, in the 19th century, it's modernism. And you, what was modernism? Modernism was simply this. They wanted to take the Bible and they wanted to put it beside philosophy and science and kind of merge them both together. You know, the big debate about evolution. Is the world 6,000 years or is the world, uh, you know, billions of years, as scientists will tell us. They wanted to merge the scriptures with uh, science and philosophy. And so therefore you got this modern thinking about Scripture. Modern thinking does not think that the Scripture is infallible by no means. It's a narrative of God's story. And then you have fundamentalism that got aggravated at modernism. Fundamentalism says, listen, let's get back to the Bible. The Bible is the Bible. It's the inerrant Word of God. They believe the Bible from front to cover. They rejected modernism. They said, no, 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 the world is 6,000 years old. They rejected anything that, was, that science had to offer. They said, you've got to accept the Bible by faith. It was modernism. Usually, theologians in fundamentalism didn't care anything about having their heart warmed. They didn't care anything about missions, although they may agree with it. But the criteria of being a theologian in a, the fundamentalist department was reason. You had to reason intellectually the Scriptures 
You had to debate the Scriptures, you see. And so you have all down through the centuries, you have people using the faith of the head to understand the Scriptures because they understood the Scriptures hold great value. Great value. Now we go to the faith of the heart. The faith of the heart. Listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. This is very important. The faith of the heart. You see, in this department, Christianity was seen as in terms of passions and affections. Passion and affections. Faith was understood as an inward, mystical, emotional experience with the living God. Faith was emotional. It was an encounter of the living God. It was something that happened on the inside of you. And I would probably tell you that most of you tonight have experienced this. You are aware of this, that faith was an inward, mystical, emotional thing. You couldn't define it by Scripture. As a matter of fact, maybe you couldn't even find it in Scripture, but you knew it was real. You had an experience with the Lord. And I grew up, obviously, under this uh, banner, so to speak. It was very powerful. People would give testimonies about what God did in them and through them. They, they, some of them was uneducated, didn't know how to explain it. But it was this mystical, emotional experience that they had with God Almighty. You see, Christian growth in this department, Christian growth in this department was perceived as intimacy or an increasing awareness of God's presence. So in this faith of the heart, they, they define your growth as increasing awareness of God's presence and releasing the power of God within you. Boy, isn't that, doesn't that speak the language of Pentecostals? We always want the power of God to be released in us. And we think we're growing if somebody gets healed when we lay hands on them. We think that we're a spiritual Christian if we do some sort of miracle or speak in tongues because we think spiritual growth is releasing the power of God within us. And we, we are aware of God's presence. That's their view. That's, that's how they look at this faith of the heart. You see, the, these people, the faith of the heart, they don't read the Bible to understand the Bible. It's not about understanding the Bible. And that is why in Pentecostal church services and Pentecostal faith and practice, Bible study is very low attended. Because people don't want to read the Bible to understand it. They read the Bible because they want their heart to be warmed by God and they want to be moved by God. They don't seek to understand the Bible because if they understand the Bible, they might have to change some of their behavior. So it's more based upon my heart was moved by God. A prime example was the 17th century revivalist, John Wesley. John Wesley wrote in his journal, I became strangely warm. It is the hallmark of the Methodist movement. He started this holiness movement bigger than the Industrial Revolution combined, history tells us. It spread across Europe, spread across America, preaching scriptural holiness that you are justified, sanctified, and glorified. These people wanted to be justified, not only justified, but they wanted a definite experience with God Almighty, and they prayed to be sanctified. But the problem was, when they prayed for sanctification, some of them started speaking in tongues, and that's where you get the Pentecostals. Somebody say amen. They wanted God. It was this mystical encounter with the God Almighty. They want their heart to be warmed. I find myself doing this sometimes, reading Scripture, because I want to come in tune with God. I want to become one with God. It's almost a medieval picture of the Roman church in medieval period where they would take the chalice and the bread and drink the juice and the bread because they wanted to become one with God. One with God. The Roman church. 
Roman, in the medieval period, very mystical because they believed the bread and the juice turned into the body and the blood of Jesus and they would have incense and altar boys. The church mass was very mystical in nature and the penitent sinner would come before the priest to partake of juice and bread and as they partook of juice and bread they believed they were forgiven of their sins. Very mystical in nature but they wanted to become one with God. The Roman church didn't understand the Bible. That's why John. That's why Martin Luther read the Bible and said, "The just is the the, the, the you're justified by faith alone." They didn't. They didn't read the Bible. It was all about trying to get to God. So you drank the chalice and drank the bre- eat the bread to try to get one with God. And so this idea of the faith of the heart, they don't read. You don't read Scripture to understand it. You read it because you want your heart to be moved by God and warmed by God. And the interpretation of the Bible is not necessarily the ancient practices of the church. Not, it's not hermeneutical. By no means. We throw, that out the, we throw that out the window. We read the Bible and we interpret it by the way we feel. We use words such as, I felt directed by the Lord. I felt prompted by the Lord. I read this and this is what it means to me. Forget how the church ancient used to practice interpretation. We read the Bible and say to ourselves, this is what it means to us. And that is why you've got crazy Christians that won't go to church and crazy Christians that splitting off and making another church is because really they're all about the heart and really they don't engage the mind because if you engage the mind and you engage hermeneutical principles, you will find that some of the practices that we do is really, really not scriptural at all. So music and liturgy and sermons and the faith of the heart, is not to understand God. It's to move our affections towards God. Just like we did tonight. Pray, believe, seek, repent. Seek the presence of God. That's why music is prolonged. Sometimes in Pentecostal church services, it's estimated that worship services could last 45 minutes to an over an hour because of the idea of the theology of the heart, trying to move people so their affections is towards God. Have you ever noticed that in some black churches when preachers preach, the music is behind them, organs are played, the music, because it moves men and women to respond to the preaching of the word. It moves their heart. Not a seeking to understand scripture, but a seeking to move you to a heart. Like when I was growing up in church, the preacher would preach so hard, veins pop out of their neck, it would move you so much you'd run to the front and cry and repent of your sin because it moved your heart. I didn't understand everything. I didn't know the 12 doctrines of the church. I didn't know what the divinity of Jesus was. I couldn't quote scripture, but my heart was moved. My heart was moved because the heart is important. Is it important in Christianity? Of course it is. John Wesley said Methodism is the religion of the heart because he was a part of Anglicanism for years. It was cold orthodoxy. It was dead. Twice plucked up. It was dead. That's why John Wesley had an experience that we've got to get back to the religion of the heart. It's more than dead orthodoxy. It is the religion. It's the feeling. It's your heart being moved. It's the spirit moving inside of you. I'm giving you these things because I want you to see the differences. I'm giving these things to you not that I can degrade one and lift the other because the head is no more important than the heart and the heart is no important than the head or vice versa. They're all equally important and they all should be practiced within the church and practiced in the daily believer's life. Somebody say amen. You remember Descartes said, Descartes said, I think, therefore I am. 
Christians in the, the heart would say, I feel, therefore I am. I feel, therefore I am. You see, throughout church history, throughout church history, the theology of the heart started with, uh, the early beginnings of the theology of the heart started with mysticism. Mysticism was in the 12th to the 15th century. Mysticism had this idea of the inner, the inner, the inner searching of a divine presence. And these people in the 12th or 15th century did not have cognitive skill. They didn't have a cognitive process. As a matter of fact, they would abandon any cognitive processes. They would fast for 40 days until they physically couldn't pray anymore. Some of them would do extreme... Uh, some of them would uh, forsake sexual pleasure even in marriage, divorce their spouses because they did not want to give attention to the physical pleasures of their bodies. It was mysticism. They wanted to become one with God. They would purge themselves of any physical desire. One of the reasons why the ancient Roman church wore black because black was a symbol of death. So priests and nuns would put black on and shave their head because they wanted to die to self. Did you know in the Roman church they would take nuns, shave off all of their head, and put them in a casket for 46 hours and close the casket on top of them so they could purge themselves of sinful desires? It was mysticism, purging yourself of sinful desires. But I've learned one thing, that you can be in a nunnery, you can be in a monastery and still sin. Somebody say amen. You can be locked up in the jailhouse and still sin because sin is not necessarily what you do. Sin is innate in all of us. Somebody say amen. So they would purge themselves. It was this idea of becoming one with God. The one of the famous people who demonstrated this was a was a uh, uh, was a fifteenth, uh, excuse me, a sixteenth century nun by the name of Saint Teresa of Avila. Saint Teresa of Avila was in Spain, and she was known as the lover of Jesus. She is known as one of the main mystics of the early early medieval church. It is said that Saint Teresa of Avila was so mystic that she would pray in front of statues of Jesus and the crucifix for hours. Her nuns, her sisters, would quote that she was so in tune with God that her body would levitate off the floor. It is said that her sisters would go and hold her body down on the floor because she thus said later, after she came out of her trance, that her, her spirit wanted to be one with God so much that her physical body could not contain the presence of the Lord. The theology of the heart. The desire to seek God and to know God. Not only do you have mysticism, you have pietism. That's found in the 17th and 18th century. It started in Germany. And it was started in Germany because it was a rejection against Luther and his cold orthodoxy. They understood that something was wrong with the Christian church. They were reciting creeds. They could recite the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed. They can go through the liturgy, quote the prayers, and yet there is dead orthodoxy. So in the 17th century, John Wesley was one of those pious believers. Anabaptist movement was a part of that. They rebaptized people because they understood that something was wrong. There's this dead orthodoxy. You see, the pious movement understood that you have to have ortho, you have to have orthopathy which was right feelings, orthoproxy, which is right living, and orthodoxy, which is right believing. 
It's not about just right believing. It's about right living and right feelings. It's all of it together. They believed that right experience would lead to right living, and right living would change the way you think, as opposed to those of the heart, of the mind. They said, they said pietism would say, let God get a hold of their heart first, and then let the knowledge come later. That's why in some of the pious movements, they didn't even have preaching of the Word. They raided on the Spirit to come. They would wait for hours for the Spirit to come to convict the hearts of men and women even before a sermon was ever preached because they understood that maybe the Spirit has to get a hold of you first. You see, John Wesley was a big movement, a big proponent of this. He, even though he was very intellectual, he understood that cold orthodoxy does not get the job done. He said, I do not fear that the people called Methodists would ever cease to exist in Europe or America. But what I do fear is that the people called Methodists would deny the power thereof and become a dead sect. That's exactly what's happened today. He would roll over his grave if he found that the movement that he founded is really cold once again. It's dead once again. Dead sermons to dead people, cold orthodoxy. It's not the Methodist church that he certainly left. You see... Pietism stressed personal faith. It's where you get my Savior. Have you accepted Jesus as your Savior? It's the Billy Graham movement. It's, it's come and walk the aisle and raise your hand. The early church didn't do that. The early church didn't have altar services where you had to raise your hand and walk down the front. The early church went outside the walls of the church, converted people, brought them, and then baptized them. But this movement of raising your hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. God bless that hand. There was this genuine faith in God that I must repent of my sin. They called it crisis conversion. In some of the early pious churches, you couldn't even be a member of the church unless you had a crisis experience. You had to get up and say, listen, my name is so-and-so, and three years ago I was a drunk and a whoremonger, and God saved me on September the 3rd, 1776. You had to give an account of the day and the hour that you were saved. If you couldn't remember, you couldn't be a member of their church because it was all about experience. And now the third, the third wave of the theology of the heart started in the turn of the century, the 20th century. It was called Pentecostalism. This was the main proponent of the theology of the heart. And yet, too, Pentecostalism teaches that you can experience God. The living Bible is not just written words. The living Bible is actually Jesus Christ, and you can experience Him. This movement was heralded through the faith of certain early believers in the turn of the century that believed that you shouldn't just get sanctified, but that you should have this empowering, this spirit baptism, where it baptizes you to go throughout the world and preach the gospel. It wasn't just about speaking in tongues. It was about having an experience to be missional, to preach the gospel around the world. And if we're not doing that, we're not Pentecostal. That was the main thrust of Pentecostalism. But even in that, they had a strong theology of the heart. And that is why right now, right now, we have a major movement called the praise and worship movement. You see, in high church, you didn't have praise and worship leaders. You didn't have that. Now we have praise and worship leaders. We have praise and worship bands. We have drums. We have all, we have all, why do we have all that? All of this was designed to move your heart towards God. 
That's why they had loud music. That's why they had drums. That's why they had guitars. That's why they had all of it. It was to get a hold of your senses and get a hold of your affections and move you. That is why now they dim the lights and do the fog machine because they're doing everything they can to get a hold of the heart. And I would say this, ladies and gentlemen, that's unbalanced. We need it. It's not, there's nothing against the theology of the heart. Boy, we need it. If we ever need it now, we need it now. I've been to a lot of churches and there is cold orthodoxy sweep in America. If you've ever been in churches like I have, you will testify that cold orthodoxy, preaching a dead letter to dead people is very common nowadays. We need a revival of the heart. We need personal conviction. We need personal holiness. We need to grow in grace. Pentecostalism was known for this. Pentecostalism started at the grassroots of America. They were shunned at the beginning. They were called holy rollers. They wasn't very educated, but they had an experience with God. Now, according to Philip Jenkins, the Pentecostal movement has over 250 million people right now. And by the year 2025, it will be the largest Christian movement in the world, surpassing almost the Catholic Church. You see, it's growing throughout the world. Why are they growing? Philip Jenkins says that Pentecostals, or excuse me, Catholics, are leaving their masses. They're leaving their liturgical dead orthodoxy in Latin America and going to the Pentecostal church. The Catholic church just recently is revamping their mass to accommodate the Pentecostals because they realize something is missing. You see, in a Catholic church, you have the liturgy of the Word. They preach the Word, so to speak, the liturgy of the Word. They read from the Old Testament, New Testament, Psalms, and the Epistles. They preach a homily. They have the liturgy of the Word. They have the liturgy of the Eucharist. They have communion. That's the hands. But they realize they're missing the theology of the heart. You see, praise and worship is spontaneous, isn't it? Because it's the theology of the heart. You see, it's not. Pentecostalism is called free worship. Free worship. It's not programmed. It's spontaneous. When other churches throughout history was liturgy, it was planned and programmed. And now we have free worship. Lastly, and in closing tonight, we have the faith of the hands. The hands. What do I mean by the hands? I mean, the, they believe that the essence, the essence of Christianity is not the heart. The essence of Christianity is not even the head. The essence of Christianity is what you do with your life. It's the outward expression of divine realities. It's witnessing and service and mission and acts of service. Mother Teresa was one of the greatest proponents of the faith of the hands. As a matter of fact, she almost worked herself to the bone because she believed that Christianity is not Christianity unless you give to the least of these. Unless you give to the least of these. You see, conversion under this pattern, conversion is not the transformation of your thinking. It's not even your affections being directed towards God, but conversion is actually a new pattern, a new behavior. It's a systematic new behavior. It's a new way of living. It's a new way of living. Most, some churches have this. They, they participate in acts of service and acts of justice because they believe that that is the call of Christianity. It's not about feeling. It's not even knowing orthodoxy. It's about doing what is right. You see, you see, it's, remember I said at the beginning, the knowledge, the faith of the head is, I think, therefore I am. The heart is, I feel, therefore I am. 
The hands is, I act, therefore I am. I act, therefore I am. You see, this goes with, in this faith of the hands, there is the ministry of proclamation. And the ministry of proclamation is the preaching of the Word. They'll preach the Word, but it's usually social justice. It's, it's what tickles the ears. Don't want to offend anybody. We give you the good news. What's the good news of Jesus? He fed the poor. He was there for the outcast. The ministry of presence, they do that through acts of mercy and acts of justice and acts of mission. Hospitals are built under the banner of hands. Go up the road here and there's Mercy Hospital. It's a Catholic hospital. It is not the theology of the head. It is not the theology of the heart. It is the theology of hands. Those sisters built the hospital. Those sisters cared for the sick because they realized that Christianity is not just at the head. It's not the heart. It is the hands. St. Francis of Assisi in Italy was a big proponent of this. He had, a, he had a very well life. He had very good parents, very well life, but he had a very, very dramatic conversion experience. History tells us that St. Francis, one of the things that he did when he became converted was that he gave up all the pleasures of the world. He became celibate, gave everything up. And one of the things he did is he went and lived with lepers. He fed the lepers. He became the least of those. He lived in society. He realized that Christianity is more than intellectual knowledge. It's more than quoting creeds and knowing Bible verses. It's more than a feeling. It is the acts of mercy. It is being that. It is being that good Samaritan. It's binding up the wounds. It's putting oil and wine. It's, it's not about your prayers that you pray. It's not about the creeds. It's not about the heart. It's about the hands. What are you doing for the Lord? They believe that if you get the hands right, no matter if your heart is wrong, your heart will change because they believe that compassion will change your heart. And as a result of the heart being changed, your mind is renewed. You see, with the theology of the head, the theology of the head goes head, heart, hands. The theology of the heart is heart, head, hands. The theology of the hands is the hands, heart, head. What are you saying, Pastor? I am saying that we need a revival of mature men and women who know the difference between the theology of the heart, the theology of the head, and the theology of the hands. We need men and women who understand the importance that God wants me to love Him with my mind. That it is not acceptable that I keep my kids home and not bring them to church because I must bring them to church because the head is very important. The head, they must learn the Bible. They must learn the scriptures of old. They must learn the ancient Bible stories. It is very, very important. The Apostle Paul said that you must give an account and defend the gospel. Give an answer for the hope that lies within you. You need to understand that as Pentecostals, there is a challenge to you tonight to love God with your head. To pick up the Bible and read the Bible, engage the Bible, get yourself in a Bible study. Engage the Scriptures. Engage your mind. Be creative. Learn new ideas. Let the Spirit grow you and cultivate you. You've got to have the head. 
You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and your mind, and your strength. Your strength, your mind, your heart. Peter, do you love me? Of course I love you. He asked him three times. Why did he ask him three times? Because Peter, oh, he was full of emotion, but did he not deny the Lord? Didn't he, didn't he get angry? Take a sword and cut the, 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 the servant's ear off? I mean, he, he was messed up in the head and the heart and the hands. He used his hands to, with a sword. He, he denied the Lord with his mouth. He became angry. The Lord says, listen, Peter, listen, do you love me? I know you messed up, but do, do you love me with your mind? Do you love me with your heart? Do you love me with your hands? He says, if you do, go feed my sheep. And I am, I am, as your pastor tonight, imploring you and challenging you to love God with your mind. Quit checking your mind out of the front door. That as you grow as a Christian, you should be able to discern between dessert and solid food. That when somebody begins to preach something that's not accurate, you should be able to discern it. And not be a silly Christian and all caught up in the glory all the time that you can't be able to uh, discern what is counterfeit or not. But I also implore you tonight that as Christians and as Christ's point, let us not lose our desire for the presence of God. I challenge you tonight that as your pastor and as Christ Point Church, let us not lose our hunger for an intimate relationship with God. Let us not lose our hunger to stand in worship with abandoned hearts and abandoned hands as tears flow down our cheek because we know our heart is not dry anymore, but our heart has been touched by a flame of fire like Isaiah said, Lord, I'm unworthy, but the angel took a coal and touched his lips and he was made pure. I'm talking about having a theology of the heart, not dead orthodoxy. But I'm talking about not just intellectually know it, but you experientially know the power of God. I'm talking about having more than head knowledge. I'm talking about having experience with God Almighty. Am I for the presence of God? Yes, I am. Do I want the presence of God? Yes, I do. Do I want an encounter with God? Yes, I do. But I don't want to leave my mind out. I want to love Him with my mind. I want to serve Him. With my mind. Oh, you know I'm telling the truth tonight. You know in your heart I'm telling you the truth. Look at our teenagers. Look at our children. We've got to give them electronics so that their mind is occupied. We, 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 we can't even sit through a church service, through a sermon, without us being so distracted. Oh, it's alright if we hoop and holler and jump up in here and get the music going, but can you sit there and let the Holy Ghost work on your mind? Or are we so programmed one way that we forget the mind? You say, Pastor, I don't believe you. Oh, read the Bible, read the Bible. Read the Bible. Jesus knew the Word. He quoted the Word. He knew Deut Deuteronomy. He knew Isaiah. He knew of the ancient Scriptures. He was able to quote it. He was able at 12 years old to sit down with the lawyers and the philosophers and the Pharisees and Sadducees and discuss the Word of God. Because he knew that there's... God to love God with my mind. He was a Jew. Those Jews at early age knew how to quote the Torah. 
They memorize the Torah. They love God with their mind. That is why when you go to the Middle East, those Jews sit at the wall and they rock back and forth. And what are they doing? Quoting the Scripture by memory. Because they know that they've got to love God. They've got to get the Word of God inside of them. I'm proposing tonight you go after God with your mind and you go after God with your heart. Don't ever let anybody stop you from pursuing God. Run after Him. And if you have an experience with God, if you have a mystical experience with God, I say amen to it. But just as long as that experience somehow is found in the written pages of the Word of God, that the moment your experiences becomes contradictory in what we see here, we've got to put a question mark over it. You see what I'm saying? Are y'all hearing me tonight? And I'm proposing tonight that we serve the world. You serve man. I'm talking about behavior. I'm proposing that you get up off of that seat and quit acting like somebody's got to serve you. And you start serving somebody else. You start being the hands and feet to Jesus. Jesus is not going to come down here. Paul said... In Romans 10, he said, if you call, he said, he that's there is not going to come down. You can't call him down. You can't bring him up from the grave. He said, what saith this? The word is nigh thee even in your mouth, that if you should confess the Lord Jesus with your mouth. In other words, Paul said, he's not going to come off the throne. You can't bring him in here. Because you are the body of Christ. You are His hands and you are His feet. Not just me. If you're comfortable in the theology of the heart and the theology of the hand or the head, and yet we sit in church Sunday after Sunday, you love God, quote Scripture, feel the presence of God, and yet we never feed the poor and never see the widow and we never minister to the community, then there is something wrong with this church. Isn't that the American church? You turn on TV and instantly you can spot them. That's the theology of the heart. That's the theology of the head. John MacArthur is the greatest proponent of the theology of the head. But yet he's cold and dry and very anti-Pentecostal. Joel Osteen is the theology of the heart. Nothing wrong with Nothing wrong with the theology of the heart. Nothing wrong with the theology of the head. But I'm proposing to you that you be a holistic Christian. I'm proposing to this church that we seek God, love God with everything that's within us. I don't care if you shout and cry. I just want you to behave right. You all hearing what I'm saying? I don't care if you go buy a new house and new clothes, just as long as you tithe and you give some to missions and you do some outreach with it. Quit being unbalanced. I don't care that you learn Scripture and memorize it. Just don't let your heart become cold. Let's run after Him. Paul said, I didn't come to you with the excellency of words. I didn't come to you preaching some 
the excellency of words, but I came to you in the power, the demonstration of the Holy Spirit. God, give us people who love you with all of their heart, with all of their mind, with all of their hands. Tonight, this was the word of the Lord to you because I prayed earnestly. What do you want me to say to your people? I want to be your mouthpiece. I want to be a spokesman that I speak on behalf of you, Lord. And I couldn't get away from it. Matter of fact, I've been on it since Sunday night and every day I just keep going back to it. Every day my heart's being touched and warmed my mind's be engaged. I want to get up and go do something. You can't get away from it. You can't get away that God's calling us to grow us up, Ephesians 5, unto the perfect stature of Christ. To a mature man. That's what He's calling us. And I believe tonight, on this Tuesday night, that you've heard the Word of God and it has pricked your heart. That you've heard the Word of God and the Holy Spirit in your heart is confirming what's been preached. It's not contradicting your mind tonight because you know it's true. And as a result of you hearing the Word tonight, your hands have to go to work. As a result of you hearing the Word tonight, your mind's got to engage the Bible. You're done with low living and Monday living. Tonight, the Spirit of God has touched your heart and you are promoted to a new level of thinking, uh, to a new level of dimension. You think different now. Your spirit is different now. Your heart is different now. Because you've heard the Word and you've engaged your mind with the Word. Your heart has been touched. And now every one of us see that if we just focus on one, we're flawed. Because they're all inadequate in themselves. But when they all work together, molds us, makes us, and develops us into the person of Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, Hallelujah. Do you love the Lord tonight? Can you lift your hands and say, I thank the Lord. He's touched my heart, my mind, my hands. It's a three-way religion. You know why there's three? Look at me. Because it represents the Trinity. The Father, the Son, Holy Spirit. The hands is the Holy Spirit. He works through His church to accomplish the mission of Christ. The heart is Jesus Himself. 
He came not to do away with the law, but to write the law upon our hearts. And the Father is the Word. He spoke and things came into existence. He spoke to darkness. There came light. You see, that is why this is important, because the gospel is Trinitarian. You can love Jesus, but you've got to have the Holy Ghost, and you've got to have the Father. And for years, the Pentecostal church has focused so much on the Holy Spirit that we forget the aspect of the Trinitarian gospel, that there must be the Father, and there must be the Son involved. All three have a part to play. We are Trinitarian believers. And the gospel is his death, burial, and resurrection. Our faith is head, heart, and hands. It's threefold. Hallelujah.